Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, he was in a Roman prison. And granted, it wasn't like uh, Sing Sing or Angola or someplace like that, but it was not freedom either. And so, over the past few weeks, studying for nearly a year now, and I, I came up with the, the three Ps. I thought, wow, we've been under, especially since May, since uh, the gruesome. Massive political wrangling, and you that certainly made us, in the minimum, feel reticent. A whole range of emotions, but I think we've become reticent about sharing a lot of things. The power struggle that's on in our country uh, hasn't been pretty to watch. Actually, been painful, and and in the pandemic. And uh, whether it's all three of those things or, or either one of those things, uh, I think it's been an unsettling time to say the least. Um, and then, then throw in whatever's going on in your life. I'll throw in the fourth P, the personal issues. Because we've all got them, you know. You've been going through something or maybe, you know, um, your family. I've been thinking about this, what's really dual idea to do what you can no matter what situation you find yourself in. Whether it's, uh, you know, the three big P's and, and, and the little P, right? Political, power, pandemic, personal stuff. In Paul's case, prison. Paul is still being faithful in the gospel. And what I've become concerned about, the church, and I don't just mean East Rock Community Church, I mean the church, she's abdicated her call in the face of her difficulties over the last few months. We've stopped. I, and, and, and maybe you personally hadn't, so, you know, go ahead and get over being mad. But we, <laughs> we've stopped. We stopped being the church. And maybe it's been a bit convicting that the better part of being the church in our area has been going to church. And that's, that's really convicting because I read this letter and I see a guy who is in prison and there's this believer who says, the guy I need to talk to is the guy that's in prison. He didn't say, you know, because Paul is limited, he won't be able to help me. He says, I got to go see that guy. That's kind of powerful to me. And Paul didn't say, hey, I'm in prison, so you should probably just go get someone who isn't locked up. And it's been personally very encouraging and inspiring to me to look at Colossians, um, especially on the sense that God is present in my heart to say, are you doing what you can from where you can, no matter what you're facing? And that's the question I want to pose to you guys. Are you doing what you can from where you can, no matter what you're facing? Are we letting our circumstances short-circuit our obedience? Because what I see here is toil, struggle, and suffering are no valid excuses 
to doing the will of God. Toil, struggle, and suffering are no valid excuses. Our main idea of the week is this. It's kind of a long main idea, but I think it's, it's worth it. The gospel message, which centers in the majestic nature of the person and work of Christ, is a universal message that must be proclaimed far and wide because it is God's only plan of salvation for the, for the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike. And there is absolutely no provision for us not to be on this mission. I would throw up history as the lesson. They burn you at the stake. They throw you in the Colosseum. They kick you out of the square. They, they hang you in the square. And there's never a provision for us to stop doing what God's called us to do. Paul's prison letters remind me that. If you would, go to Colossians chapter 1 and beginning at verse 24 into the first five verses of chapter 2, would you follow along as I read those verses aloud? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit, excuse me, be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Fathers, we open this word. We humbly ask you to open this word. Lord, it's, it's only hidden in the sense that we don't understand it apart from you. We don't grasp it apart from you. So, Father, give us revelation tonight. Open it to us, to individuals, to families, and show us, God, this beautiful mystery that is Christ. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. I have three very big ideas tonight that inside of them I will share some smaller ideas. And um, I'm going to ask you guys to get on the express train with me and let's ride hard and fast for a few minutes. First big idea is this. And what we're doing is we're taking this from the life and example of Paul. We're just taking a look at these big ideas. Number one, the church is still sharing in the suffering of Christ. Now, let me introduce this. I don't know if there's any nice way to do this. So let me just try to be nice. Okay. The great mystery that God has given the world is that we're in Christ and Christ is in us. Now, that seems like you say, Tim, I know that, but do we? Okay. Think about these two things as your position. All right. All right. Let me use a couple of people just to bring this home to you. Mary Lou? You're in Christ. So you, of no merit of your own, because you're in Christ, 
you have the privilege of a child of God. You have the rights as a citizen in the kingdom. You can approach the Father because you're in Christ. Okay, now let me say it like this. Kathy, Christ is in you. Now, you have all the mission of the Son. Now, I can look at it, John, you're in Christ, so heaven has come down to you. Christ is in you, so heaven is going out from you. This is the position and the responsibility of the church. I'll say it like this. The church is still being Christ's presence in the world. We are the body of Christ. We are Christ's presence in the world. This is real. This is biblically true. We are literally being his hands and feet and his voice. We, along with the night stars, the trees, the leaves, the flowers, the lizards, the fishes, the mammals' bones we're finding in the Brea tar pit, all of creation and the church and the Spirit of God are a grand choir singing glory to God saying to the world, God is real and he wants you to know him. And this is that mystery. To the Jewish mind, it was a double explosion, mind blown twice. One, that God was in them. They're like, whoa, wait a minute, we won't even say his name. Every time we write about him, we just use these weird initials. And you're saying he's in us? Like, cool, we had it coming. We've been through some hard times. But still mind blowing. Second mind explosion, Y'all saying them Gentiles get it too? Yup. Double mind blown. When Paul says, one of the most controversial statements in all the New Testament, whether y'all know it or not, when Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking, I believe this is one of the most debated and misunderstood passages. Everybody's got all kinds of theories. Our Roman Catholic friends say that's where we get the right to understand indulgences. And I go... Huh? I think it just means something this simple. Y'all ready? I'm gonna, this is this simple. Go read all the commentaries. They'll write paragraphs about this, Casey. I mean, paragraph after paragraph about this sentence. I believe it's this simple. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. Christ's presence in this world. The world loves darkness. Christ is light. Everywhere that Christ really shows up, the world doesn't like it. So Christ is still suffering. How is he suffering? Through his church. Now, all the suffering that needs to be done for redemption has been done. Somebody say amen. The work on the cross is completed. The work of the Son is accepted. All that needs to be done for a man or woman or a boy or girl to be saved has been accomplished. But because Christ is still in a world that has rejected him, Christ is still suffering in this world. How is he in the world? We're in him. He's in us. He's in the world. We're suffering, but it's Christ suffering. I'll give you a test passage on this. I don't want to get hung up, so I didn't throw up here because I know I get hung up. I didn't, I didn't, Channing. So I know if I stuck it up there, I'd have to talk about it a long time. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he persecuted believers, anybody remember what Jesus said to him? Why do you persecute me? Isn't that neat? So when somebody throws smoke on you, Sling shade at you, stomps your toe, hurts your feelings, rejects your words, cuts your head off. Wherever you're at on the persecution spectrum, you may be suffering it, but who's suffering it? Christ. So who's going to answer that suffering? Christ. This is really powerful. 
Now, what Paul is saying here in these first few verses that I read, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He understands that to give, to give, for God to give him this apostolic ministry and for God to give pastoral ministry and evangel, um, the ministry to evangelists, it got stuck in my mouth. When, whoever he gives ministry to is to build up the church. So he's putting Christ in the world through the body. And whenever the body suffers, it's Christ's suffering. And what Paul is saying is, he's worth it. This is what I've been given to steward, and he's worth it. This is what I've been given to manage, and he's worth it. It begs some questions. Maybe I should, before I ask the questions, maybe I should just clarify stewardship for somebody who hasn't ever wrestled with that phrase. As simply as I could put it, I think stewardship is to manage something that belongs to someone else. That's why when you think about your money, your, the land that's in your name as far as the government's concerned, right? You should always be thinking about Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and everyone who dwells upon it. In other words, uh, how much stuff do you own, Casey? Nothing. Now, Casey has just taken on, as far as the government's concerned, a payment of a house. But who does the house really belong to? To the Lord. He said the bank. No, not to the bank, does it, Casey? The credit union. <laughs> Finally, someone, I usually get corrected. It's, somebody else got it this time. Yeah. But I'm with you. It's the bank. <laughs> but it's not yours. All right. So let me ask some really big questions. And I, I beg you all to consider these. I beg you, just as your brother in the Lord, I beg you to really think about these. Okay, y'all, I ain't going to lie. We're, we're the most laid-back local church I've been to in a long time. I just noticed Clay Holden River and my heart melting. Okay. I just noticed it. Y'all have the same amount of teeth. <laughs> hey, me too, brother. Anyway, that's, that's gorgeous. Mary, calm down. Y'all hear someone hyperventilating. It's just Mary having a good time. All right, listen to these questions. What is East Rock's stewardship from God? Now, Paul says his stewardship is this mystery, revealing Christ, that Christ is for everyone. I mean, in other words, it's not restricted to just being for the Jews or just for this kind of people or that kind of people. He is, Christ is for the world, okay? What is your family's stewardship from God? What is your stewardship from God? What might good stewardship of these things cost us? Is Christ worthy? <laughs> Amen. And think about that, you know, is he worthy of the effort? Is he worthy of the sacrifice? Is he worthy of the pain of exercising stewardship? Is seeking to bring God glory worth it? Now, where do I get this from? You just look at those few verses, 24, 25, those couple of verses. Paul is saying, what I'm going through is worth it. Amen? What I'm going through for the glory of God is worth it. What I'm going through for the growth of the church is worth it. Now, have you sometimes, have you sometimes been lazy in your faith? 
Have you sometimes been afraid in your faith? Have you sometimes says, that sounds like more trouble than it's worth to me? I would beg you to start looking at what God has given us to search to steward, what he's given your family to steward, what he's given you to steward, and I would beg you to just start making a list of those things and then decide in your own heart, is he worthy? John, I almost asked you to sing that, that you know, that song, Is He Worthy? You know, but I always feel bad at, like, telling people to sing songs I want them to sing, you know, because I don't have to do the work of getting them together. But um, I really thought about it because I sang that several times this week intentionally. I cried every single time because I started making a list of the things that we have to steward, and I know he's worthy. But between wanting to give him glory and seeing how far I am from it in some areas, I'm grieved. But God meets me in my grief. And he reminds me he's going to give me the energy to toil and struggle if I'll just submit to the process. Second big idea. Second big idea. The church is still responsible for the revelation of God's great mystery. Now, I've already alluded to the fact that creation preaches. I already alluded to the fact that the Holy Spirit preaches. But one way, one huge way, you know, God, God's plan A on the earth is the church, and he doesn't have a plan B. I'll tell you, as, as a believer, I always get concerned about people who don't like the church. Something, something ain't right there. Now, we can get wounded by the church, but it's still God's plan A. In other words, go to God and get healed up. And I know people in this congregation who have literally gone through that. Some people are still going through that. But the church is still responsible for this revelation. Paul uses in Christ or some equivalent of that phrase 172 times in his epistles. And yes, I looked them up. I was tempted to show you all of them. And I remembered that y'all want to go home before tomorrow. But let me say this. In Christ is critical to the apostles' understanding of Christian position and identity. Consider this, these two studies real quick, just these two. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I understand my life to be this way. It doesn't matter what my agenda ever was. It is now what my agenda is, is the agenda of Christ. This body belongs to him. Wow, that's radical. I know I'm, I'm picking on John a lot tonight, but he's been sick. I think I can outrun him right now. I felt great. John, you remember the video you and Sebastian made? We made from that corny song, Jesus is my friend. But do we ever stop and really think about, like, Jesus is with us all day long? Like, how many times do we say, like, you know, you say, I'm going to go play basketball. But do you ever say, Jesus, would you like to go play basketball? The funny thing is, Jesus would like to go with you to play basketball sometimes. He would really like to manifest himself to your friends on the basketball court. So it's, the answer isn't always going to be no, but sometimes it's going to be like, no, I don't want to go right now, and you don't either. You want to go do something else. And you're like, no, Jesus, I don't. <laughs> like the question, he, I, I always ask, Jesus, would you like to read another book? He's like, no. You would like to go take a walk. I say, I'm sure you're wrong about that, Jesus. I'm sure you would like to read another book. And <laughs> more often than not, 
Jesus loses that argument, but he shouldn't. Right? You know, Jesus, you want to go hunting? Yes. As a matter of fact, I would love to go hunting. Jesus, would you like to go spend some hours at a coffee shop? Never. I've never seen the usefulness in that, my child. Would y'all pray for Christina and my relationship now? It's over. Am I making sense to anybody? Like this in Christ thing is big, and Christ in us is big. And a lot of times we only see it as him standing around doing like this. You know, no, no, no. And it's a lot of this. Come on, go with me. And that's the way Paul sees this. The life I have now is really God's life. He's just living it out in me. Well, look at part of a prayer from Ephesians 3, just part of it. So that, you may, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Doesn't it seem funny to think you need strength to understand something? Hmm. Strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know something that goes beyond knowing. In other words, it's, it's, it's an experience. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God has a deep plan that is only revealed by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And God's secret purpose is to make us eternally alive in Christ. So what's this revelation? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, the fixed expectation that we join with him, not just in the suffering and the struggle, but in the glorification and the glory. We are recipients of the mystery, communicators of the mystery, sufferers of the mystery, and vessels of the mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I want to say a quick aside. I want to say a real quick aside. When he uses in verse 26, ages and generations, you, you guys who, you know, I know uh, Austin, Austin, uh, Austin Phillips is, is sick tonight, but I asked Austin, I said, what was your favorite thing about Fruitland? He said, commentaries, man. I just love to read commentaries now. So, Austin, if you're watching, you know, this is just one of these things. If you go look in commentaries, brother, there's going to have a lot of comments on it. There's a lot of arguments. Did Paul mean something about cosmic powers such as angels or whatever? I think in context, he's talking about, the generations of mankind. And what he's saying is, like in a Galatians 4-4 kind of way, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, like at just the right time. In other words, mankind hasn't understood before this that God wants to live in them. But now through the revelation of Christ, God wants to live in them, and we're supposed to be telling them, this is not just a bow down at rivers and rocks and, and, and winds and sun. God, who made all of that, wants to live in you. And yes, this mystery is even for you pagan Gentiles. And so I think it's about he's unleashed his secret plan. It was never secret to him. He was just doing like this the whole time. You know, it's like, you want to know what I have in my hand? He's known all along. We didn't see it. And he goes, this is it. So super quick, look at the Apostle Paul's example of faithfulness in this ministry of Revelation. And I'm just going to say these real fast and let you study them later. Paul stewarded a powerful revelation. 
I want to, I, rather than expound on this, let me illustrate this. I was having this very serious talk with one of my middle school students to a Thursday. And I'm one of these guys, I, I, I'm not a hugger, but I'm definitely a handshaker, you know, definitely. And I'm definitely one of these guys, I like, when I talk to a young guy, I like to put my hand on his shoulder. I like to connect with him. Sometimes I'll make a kid look at me. Well, in COVID time, you know, I'm only four foot tall. I definitely can't reach six feet, you know. But I was having this real serious talk, and I just grabbed him by his left arm, or his right arm, with my left hand. And I put my hand on his heart. And I said, look at me. I said, do you know that God's plan for you is to live inside your heart and for you to feel life with God? And he just says in a, you know, kid-like way, what do you mean? And so I start trying to explain it to him. And I'm like, actually, visit my church Sunday night. <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> but this kid is raging about several things. And I'm like, man, do you know that God wants to live in you? And I find myself being blown away by this and then blown away again when other people aren't blown away by this. Like, Joanne, you know God wants to live in you. Noah, you know God wants to live in you. And whatever, whatever your problem is, he wants to meet it with you. Whatever your history is, he wants to heal you beyond it. Whatever your future is, he wants you to experience it with him. This is powerful. God in you. So that you don't have to be led around like a dog on a leash. You can learn to walk with God and listen to him too. Secondly, Paul preached an, an eternal purpose. Look at verse 27. Oh, my goodness, the time. Let me go fast. Look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have eternal purpose. Paul was discipleship focused. In verse 28, he tells us something big, that he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. I can tell you as a pastor, I would like to think at the second coming, if the second coming happens tomorrow, we can hold East Rock Community Church up, all her people up and say, here God, we've been laboring in this beautiful mystery so that these men and women, these boys and girls would be mature in Christ. Now I want to say a quick word about being mature in Christ. If we think about my opening illustration, power, politics, pandemic, Add the little p, your personal problems. Do you know that the devil doesn't care what you get shook over as long as you shook? He doesn't care what you get distracted by as long as you're distracted. So I was thinking about that, and I just wanted to quote a couple passages that I find very encouraging myself. And, um, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I really want to share this. A couple passages, and... Uh, I threw them in later, but it's really important because what we lose our focus on a lot of times is that we're our disciples who are making disciples. I'm going to come back to that because I just saw the time again. Also, if you look at verse 29, Paul labored in a worthy struggle, but his laboring was by God's power. Let me move to that third and last and uh, this last thing really fast. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not sorry. I've been really encouraged by this passage. I've been really encouraged by this letter. Thirdly, the church should still expect compassionate shepherding. You know, when Paul, when we turn the corner into chapter 2, 
He says, I want you to know I had a great struggle for you and for those at Laodicea. In other words, this letter doesn't just go to the, to the, to the Colossians. It goes to all the people in the Lycus Valley. And he's laboring over the flock in the gospel. I think you guys, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the great shepherd sends out under shepherds. I think you guys should expect leaders who will work for you. I don't mean just show up, but work for you, labor for you, labor in prayer, labor in the studies of the scripture, labor to bring truth to life through music, labor, work hard, work hard to put together corporate gatherings, work hard to challenge you as, you as individuals. I think you should expect people to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, where he says here in Colossians 2.1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have you. I'm in jail for the gospel. This, this, this leadership is costing me. It's for you. And then I think, I think that laboring should amount to the saints being strengthened in Christ. The saints being strengthened in Christ. And he spells out what strengthen looks like here. First thing he says is you're encouraged in heart. I found it interesting. I looked this word up, this phrase up. And it means both to comfort and to cheer up. To comfort and to cheer up. And I, I immediately got an image of a child falling down. And the first thing we do is try to get them to stop crying. Then we usually try to get them to start laughing. How many of you adults have picked up a kid who fallen down and next thing you know you was tickling them? And I saw, wow, what a beautiful ministry that God has given leaders. We, we pick up entire local churches. And we pat them and tickle them. It, it's sort of the image. But what it really means is to strengthen them. So how do you strengthen them? You comfort them and you cheer them up. You say, it's going to be okay. Have hope. And so let me, let me tim this up for a moment. I'll say it like this. Buck up because the Lord has showed up. That's what you encourage them to do. Believe the Lord. Trust the Lord. Buck up. Godson showed up, and he's coming back. Buck up. Also, Paul says, part of what it means to be strengthened in Christ is you're united in love. I like that. First off, it's love for Jesus. That's actually the only thing the church shares in common. I mean, God bless Casey's heart. I've tried to turn him into a history nerd. He just won't put into work, you know. So we can't say that we always share the same love of history, right? <laughs> but we share the same love of Jesus. The, the, Jesus is the object of our chiefest love, okay? No matter how much I try, I, I love